Welcome back to Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk, a podcast brought to you by a group of Black Princetonians where we talk about issues impacting our Black and Brown communities. My name is Michelle Jacobs, and I'm here today with my co-host, Ray Smalls. So Ray, I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> the Georgia runoff, the crazy politicians. I can't wait for this year to end, my sister. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, COVID back up to crazy levels. Yep. Ooh, RVS. It's just too yep. much. It's just too much. And with all of that in mind, we decided to end the year on an uplifting note. Yes. Right? Yes. And the way we're going to do that, we're going to introduce you to two artists who are doing wonderful work. First one. Gail Paul, who is actually from London. She's a British-born mixed uh, media artist. And nature and art have always been at the forefront of her passions. But photography was uh, the uh, hobby that led her to a career in the television industry, where she's been working as a live video editor for many, many years and is a member of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. So for her, when the pandemic hit and work stopped in March of 2020, she threw her hands into her art on a regular basis with the creation of her piece, You Go Girl, You Go. I love that name. Created as a tribute to her mom, or as they say, to her mom. Those words were very important because her mother would often say uh, those to her throughout her entire life. And with this inspiration, she has created artwork based on the memories of people and their histories using personal photographs as a guide. In November of 2021, Gail had her first solo exhibition, Portrait in Words, and that was based in London. Our other guest, Joanne McFarlane, is a Princeton alumnus from the class of 77. She's an artist, poet, and curator, and the artistic director of Art Poetica Project Space in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Her space exhibits experimental works that focus on the intersection of language and visual representation. Joanne has artwork in the permanent collection of the Library of Congress, the Columbus Museum of Art, and the Department of State, among many others. Her recent shows include Best and Brightest and The Indivisible Spectrum, both at the Painting Center in New York City. I have to get over there. <laughs> we both have to get over there. Joanne's poetry collections include Acid Rain, 13 Ways of Looking at a Black Girl, Identifying the Body, and Pullman, which will be published by Grid Books in February of 2023. Gail Joanne, welcome to the shows. You can see I screw things up a lot, but don't worry about that because uh, we got a long show ahead of us. Has art always been a part of each of your lives? And when did it become uh, an important facet of each of your lives? Joanne, why don't we start with you first? Terrific. This is really great. Thanks for this opportunity to talk about my work. And yes, you know, I knew from a very early age, I'm going to say maybe four, five, six years old, that art was really important to me, that making things really mattered. And I guess it's because there was a kind of absorption and loss of almost boundaries, a kind of delight that happened whenever I was making something. It's a combination of being extraordinarily serious, but also so joyful. And I just have all of my life continued to chase that feeling. And I think that I, 
as a young girl, I was confused as to why the arts were not emphasized. They always seemed to be on the side. And it seemed so curious to me for something that was so dynamic and that I felt so passionate about and always looked forward to. So when I was in school, I majored in English in college, but then after I graduated, I made the decision to be an artist. And what I told myself very consciously then was that I was choosing that road because it was the hardest thing I could possibly do. And in some ways that has proven to be true because our culture still does not focus on the arts as, as valuable in the way that I feel they are, but it has continued to delight me all the way through. So Gail, uh, if art was, a, uh, this profession is a challenge for Joanne, what is it for you? Well, um, it, it, it's kind of different, slightly different path for me. I mean, I, I think I was, I liked art school and I was going to go to art, art college, art, do study art. And um, at the time, my parents sort of said, oh, really? Really, girl? And um, as, as supportive, they would have been supportive. No question if I drilled it home. But I was I'm kind of like kind of a good girl, you know, and I kind of listened to them. So I went off in a slightly different track. But as you know, I got into TV, which is very creative. And I think that I was lucky it absorbed, it helped me sort of get over the pure art stage. And so I progressed my career in television. And then in 2017, um, sadly, my mum died. And I freely admit I'm a 100% mummy's girl and I did not cope very well at all. And so I know exactly when it happened. Um, it was my mum my died December 2017 and November 2018, I was working on a show um, which you may or may not have heard at the Royal Variety Show, which always has a big American name come over to it. And we, on the, this is a show that we have absolutely nothing to do. We get six days work and we have nothing to do until the sixth day. So I decided I was going to utilize that time and I wanted to create a tribute to my mum. That is the beginning of a piece that I did that at that time was not art. It was just a tribute to my mum. And it didn't become art until maybe six months later when people started seeing it and they started saying it was art. So up until that point, I was not doing art. I was just doing a tribute to my mum. So that was my path of getting back into the art sort of world. And now that I'm in it, I'm so absorbed in it and you know, I can't move away from it. I always find it quite interesting how something that, you know, you put aside that probably that you wanted to do in your teens and disappeared for a long time and how that's the one that kind of saved you mentally. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, I went back to that when I, when, when I was mentally in crisis in a way. So yeah, that, it, it definitely saved, saved my emotions.
that's inspiring uh, for anyone that is, uh, uh, you know, has that creativity still kind of locked inside them someplace. So each of you, Joanne, Gail, how would you describe the work, the pieces that you do? Uh, what kind of medium do you like to work with or are comfortable with? And okay, Ray, Ray, I'm going to jump in because I can't help myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish that question, but I, I want to put a um, sticky <laughs> up on the board to let Gail know I'm going to come back around to that. Oh, episode. come back around. Whoa. <laughs> it wasn't art until somebody told her that it was art. But so before I lose that thought, I'm just putting okay. that little pin there. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, bro. No, no, no. I think they've got it. I think they've got it. Joe, you got it. Well, you know, I really relate to what Gail said about the healing power of art. And I have just really always been very connected to the psychological benefits of being creative and the healing power of the creative process, which I think belongs to all of us. Also, when Gail, when you said that it's interesting how something can be put aside and then you come back to it. I think that this drive toward creativity and how nourishing it can be is something that belongs to us and that is in all of us. And if only the culture supported that, we would all benefit because it does have that power when we are in crisis of helping us to create new boundaries, to recover, to both lose and find ourselves. And I, I feel almost like I had to be a bit of a warrior around that because that was something that I recognized immediately, that power. And I've had to fight, fight, fight for the calmness and the, what I've actually considered the erotic power, erotic in the terms of being life affirming the erotic power of making. And so that is what my practice is about. And I, you know, I'm an artist, a poet and a curator, and I'm in touch with all sorts of artists all the time as a way of emphasizing this power in creativity. And that is an essential part of my practice. And for you, Gail. How did you come to the medium that you like to work in? I mean, mine happened, um, started to flourish at the beginning of the pandemic. And there was a lot of negative, everything, a lot of negativity going around. And because my whole thing was done out of my, basically my love affair with my mother, my relationship was this, everything that I, even that I'm producing now has some semblance of her in the backdrop. So what I want to produce without trying to sound corny is emotions, love, and the power it gives you and how somebody can have such an, you know, an amazing influence on your life. And when, you're, when, when they're alive, they're influencing you, but you're ignoring them because, you know, that's the, that's the way it is. And then, and then suddenly somebody dies and you realize how how important they are yeah, yeah. so everything that I do now like I do like 
I, it's described, I, I make memories come alive. This is what somebody described it. You know, that I take people's memories that they've had of somebody that they really cared about or who is hugely influential in their life and bring that back to them. Uh, maybe at a stage when they didn't even know them. And that in itself is quite powerful. You know, I've, I've done portraits of my parents when they were 16 and 20 and so on. I didn't know them then. And um, as, you, as you probably know, I don't know about you, but my parents were always telling me about how, rave, how they used to rave and I never believed them. And then I did a portrait of them at the, that raving days and you thought, whoa, they're a power couple. Is raving British for partying? It is, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the terminologies, okay. yeah. So it's, um, and then you've you, you just seen these people in a different time zone to when you knew them well. And that is, that is also really embracing and really nice. So I like to think that I'm, doing working on with people's memories and with um love okay i'm gonna jump in here um oh gosh here she comes <laughs> no 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 <laughs> i'm gonna circle back around to you oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but my question is actually to to both of you um in your uh description of your work you both noted the importance of words um, in, in many different ways, Joanne, so, so that for you, I'm, I'm not sure this is the correct word, but you do it on a macro level and, and Gail Sutter does it on a micro level. But um, talk to me about how you, how you began to understand the power of words and the importance of using it in connection with your art. Well, the first line in my artist statement on my website is that words are the most powerful things in human societies. And I believe that that is true. And my example is if I went out on the corner and stopped people as they went by and, and asked, has anybody ever said anything positive or negative that has changed the course of your life? I think every single person would say yes. And that's power. Sometimes somebody will say something to you and they don't, they're saying it casually, but it can change the course of your life. And the reason why I'm a poet is because of something that one of my professors said casually in a seminar when I was at Princeton. And it's mind blowing for me to think that my entire career was built on something that someone said, something lovely. Um, so I think I'm very conscious as a poet of the power of words and tone and how lives are shaped by the undercurrents of what we say. And it just, in, in my work as a poet and an artist and as a speaker actually, I am very conscious of what language can do. And it's, it's in terms of my artwork and combining images and words, it's always that sense of play. And I touch on extremely serious subjects, but my work is very political often, but 
the process for me is one of delight and play and a way of working against what I see as an extremely violent culture. So the bedrock principle of my entire practice is that violence and creativity are opposites, that violence is oriented in the past and every violent act I can think of is in a way aimed at preserving the status quo and creativity is the opposite of that. It's using current resources to invent the future. So I very consciously work with creativity and violence as opposite and I'm always pushing against what I see as a hostile culture. And since I think of language as so primarily important in human connection, that is why language is so integral to what I make. Now, now, and I hope we'll have time to get back to, um, there's a couple of pieces you have where you, you use the juxtaposition of words in your art. So I, I hope we have time. I'm gonna get back to you on that, but let me ask you, your, your use of words is a little bit different, right? It almost seems collaborative in a way with, um, I noticed on your site that you're inviting people when they uh, have you for commission to participate in that process and to pick their memories and their words. So speak to me a little bit about that. How, how did that come to be? Well, you know, again, I'll go back to my relationship with my mom. Um, as a growing up, you know, she, she had seven children and all seven children were her favorites. I don't know how she did that, but she did. And um, I would go to her with an idea, whatever it was, and we'd talk about it and whether she agreed with it or not. But at the end of the, the discussion, it was always, well, you go girl, you go. And that's why my, my site is called You Go, You Go Productions, because it, it, the, it was always, there was no question of failure that, that never existed. If it didn't work, you learn. And so um, I, I learned from these words and it was always a very positive movement forward in my life. So the first piece that I did was you go girl, you go. Um, and then, so then I realized that when, when it became art, um, and I started talking to people about doing their piece, it was important to get why these phrases were important to them so that you could put the, the essence of what the meaning of the word was. And so what I do is I do the word in a piece of art, but then I also take the essence of the word. So for you go girl, I asked members of the family to describe mum in one word. And the reaction when they first saw the piece, they spent literally ages looking for their word. Mm. And when they found their word, they were happy, they were content. It was, so, in, it was interactive. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So I try and put the words into words and it just builds up, but the main, the main word is, 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 is whatever is important to you as a person, um, I'll make that as the main body of it. Okay, so you gave me an opportunity to swing back around to 
<laughs> when it became art. <laughs> so I actually saw Joanne in an interview where she was saying that everybody can be an artist, but there's a difference, uh, or if I, if I was here understanding you correctly, that everybody can can do creative stuff, but you know there are times when she needs to be known as an artist, right? And and what that means. Now you said that you did the thing for your mom, but it wasn't art when you did it. No. When art till somebody told you it was art. So tell me what what does that mean um, that someone told you it was art and then you realized it was art? Well, when I first, as I said, when I first did it, it was just something I wanted to do. It was helping me heal in a way. I I just felt that I needed to do something. And it was literally nobody, actually nobody at all knew I was doing it. It was literally between me and my mom, nobody else. And um in fact, there was a builder in my house and it's a builder that I've known a long time, not just any builder. And he was, he came and asked me something about the building and he said, what is that? And I said, oh, nothing, you know. <laughs> and he went away and I heard him go down the stairs and then I heard him turn around and come back. And he said, no, what, what is that girl? And so I <laughs> kind of like gave him something. And he said, God, that's a beautiful piece of art. Mm. And I went, ah, oh, but I kind of dismissed it because you do at that stage. But basically that's kind of what happened. People, at, the more people saw it, they didn't describe it as, as an item. They all described it as, our, as art. And I think it was when my big sister saw it and she gave me the approval to go ahead. She said, <laughs> um, she said no, this is, this, is, this is art, Gail, this is art. So yeah, it was people telling me it was art and, and finally believing it, believing it. And I think once I believed it, I felt completely released because if it's art, you can do anything. Mm. And then it went up an even bigger, it went up even, a, a, yeah, once I believed it was art, it, it kind of Took went, off. yeah. That's a very different approach than what jo how Joanne came. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, when I was the director at AIR Gallery, which is now in Dumbo, but it, it's been around since 1972, I love that experience, but one of the things that I talked about with the artists all the time was that these things that we make are really just manifestations of our inner state, that they're almost like talismans that reveal what's going on inside of us. And when somebody comes into the gallery, you think that they're coming in to see these objects, but that's not really how you connect with them. What they're really looking for is your passion and how your passion and your life force is being expressed through these objects. So when Gail, when, when you're talking about that piece, I, I just love that story of him coming back up the stairs because he's responding to the energy He's mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. something. He's feeling that this matters to you. Right, right. And he's curious. That's always the connection I'm, I'm hoping to make. And people are endlessly curious. So it has been helpful for me when working with other artists to really kind of hone in on 
yeah, we can build these skills. You can learn more about color. You can learn more about form. I can develop my technique, but in my practice, that's not really the point. The point is to create objects that are external to me that validate my life experience. That's what I'm doing so that these things will live beyond me, but be imbued with my mm. essence on some level. And that has to happen mm. because each one of us is so unique. So I don't worry about that at all. That will happen. That's the delight. That's the playground. All you have to do is, and I commit to doing one creative thing every day, all you have to do is show up, play, or whatever it is you call it, and that will build over time. So that'll do it for the first part of our episode, The Healing Power of Black Art, featuring Gail Hall and Joanne McFarland. Be on the lookout for part two. If you enjoyed what you heard today, visit our website, NubianTigersPodcast.com. In addition to the podcast, we also post a resource page for each subject to provide additional sources of information. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nubian Tigers, written as one word. We're also on YouTube on the Nubian Tigers podcast channel. Our podcast is hosted by Anchor FM, but if you have a favorite podcast app, we're probably on it. Just look for Nubian Tigers Talk. Looking forward to sharing some knowledge with you next time. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up.